In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Welcome to this episode of Falling Out. Welcome to our season two. This is it. This is the kickoff. This is the big moment. You've been waiting for this, or, or maybe you haven't. I don't know, but, but you're here, and I'm here, and I'm excited to bring you today's fabulous episode. So today we have a very special guest. I'm so excited that this person has decided to be our first guest of this season. This is a great kickoff. I could not ask for anyone better. So here we go. Today's special guest is Jay Jackson. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, Jay Jackson is also known as Laganja Estranja. Laganja is a world-renowned choreographer, artist, musician, cannabis advocate, and LGBTQ plus icon. She rocketed to fame appearing on RuPaul's Drag Race and has been taking the world by storm ever since. Talk to us, Coleman, about your experience with Laganja. What are you excited about today? Excited to, you know, talk to a trans icon and someone out in the community doing the work. Um, I think, you know, it's it's with everything in the news right now, you hear so, so many negative things. So I am excited to be wowed and bewildered by the amazing things she is doing and has. And I think this is such a great guest because here in the state of Texas and really a lot of, around the country, we are seeing a lot of anti-LGBT legislation being proposed, some of it being passed. And the targets seem to be drag queens and trans people, which is just ridiculous. Let me just tell you, if you're a legislator and you're listening or you have some of these messed up political views, you don't know what you're talking about. You're absolutely ridiculous. So please sit down. And while you're sitting down, listen to our podcast with our <laughs> fabulous guest today. I'm excited. Let's go ahead and welcome her to the show Please welcome the amazing Laganja Estranja. Laganja, thank you so much for being on our program today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I want to get started because I know there's a lot of things our guests probably want to hear. I know I'm interested and excited to hear. Tell us a little bit about just you and your background and kind of what got you into this world that you've launched into now? Like you can talk a little bit about growing up, a little bit about your coming out story. Just, I wanna kinda of hear the whole thing and get a, a concept of your journey. So I'm gonna just turn the floor over to you and let's find out all the wonderful inner workings of your mind. Well, I uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas, and my parents, like most uh, young uh, adolescent men was entered into sports and unfortunately that never really clicked for me it wasn't until they moved me inside to an air-conditioned dance studio where I was surrounded by uh, girls that I really felt comfortable and so I discovered around the age of seven that dance and musical theater was really a passion of mine and that's really where my heart sang and I was very lucky and still very lucky to have supportive parents who did everything they could for me in the arts to be successful. So I did musical theater camps and uh, all kinds of shows throughout my childhood, whether it was community theater or eventually professional by the age of 14. And, you know, I went to high school and to college to study dance and choreography. And I just kind of happened to fall into the drag of it all. It wasn't until 
senior year of college that I created the character Laganja Estranja and really began exploring the art form of drag, ultimately because it was a culmination of many art forms like makeup, like hair, like costume design, but also incorporated singing and dance. So for me, it was like I became my own little musical, doing every uh, aspect of the art myself. So getting on RuPaul's Drag Race obviously changed my trajectory tremendously. I'd only been doing drag for about a year until that television show. And that really launched me into an international space. And I began traveling the world as Laganja, performing all over. And uh, I'm happy to say almost a decade later, I'm still doing that, still performing uh, weekly. So it's it's been an amazing journey. And again, it's... Uh, mostly due to the fact that I've had really supportive parents who have seen me all the way through. Yeah. I'm curious because, I mean, obviously I'm here in Dallas and, and this is where we're based out of. And I know Dallas has a very rich drag scene, um, you know, or at least I, I've interacted with it quite a bit. Um, I'm curious for you growing up in this area, did you connect with the drag scene here in Dallas or was it something a little different? Like, you know, where did you kind of cut your teeth or, or learn to perform. I, I'm not real sure a little bit of that history and how it may connect to us here in Dallas. Yeah, you know, I really didn't begin my career in Dallas. By the time that I was exploring drag, I lived in California where I was getting my BFA at the California Institute of the Arts. Um, but I eventually went back to Dallas and my now drag mother, who I actually know as Justin Johnson, but many people will know as Alyssa Edwards. I worked for him for many years at his dance studio teaching dance. And it wasn't until season five of RuPaul's Drag Race, his season, that I really discovered that he was a drag queen. So eventually he became my mother and took me into the drag scenes in Dallas. But it just wasn't really my vibe. It was a little too pageant, a little too uh, stereotypical. You know, my last name is Estranja for a reason. I like to keep it strange. I like things that are a little out of left field. And so that's why I felt a lot more at home in the California drag scene. But as the years have progressed, I really appreciate what Dallas has to offer. I think pageant queens are amazing, incredibly talented. And, you know, Texas definitely knows how to do drag, yeah. for sure. Big hair and big jewels, Texas <laughs> is the place. So I'm curious, and I know I know we don't want to get into too much of RuPaul's Drag Race because we've seen it. We, we watched the episode. But for you, that's so early into your drag career. Do you feel like you really had your persona kind of locked down or was it kind of growing at that time? Well, I'd like to think that my character is uh, ever, you know, transitioning, ever growing. I, I, I think when you get to a stagnant place as an artist, you lose the whole point of becoming an artist and that is to challenge yourself and to keep coming up with new and better versions of yourself. So definitely my character was not fully formed by the time I got on that television show, but I think that television show sort of made a caricature of myself. And so then that became my character. And so over the last decade, I've not only been referencing and finding the person I was at 23, but also changing and growing and finding who I am now. Yeah. And, and I kind of want to lean into that a little bit because, you know, number one, after the show, you're kind of a, a public figure. And it was during the, the, I guess, after the show, I don't really know quite the timeline, but you began to kind of embrace your transition as a trans woman. 
I want to kind of find out a little bit of that story because I know for a lot of my friends who've been going through that as well, it's a second coming out process to a degree of, of, you know, even things that you may have always felt, but you kind of felt like now I have to come out again to friends, to family. uh, and, And I'm also in this very public space doing this. So what was that journey like for you? And, and what have you learned about yourself during that time? You know, honestly, I've come out so many different times now. I mean, first it was gay, then it was drag queen, then it was cannabis smoker. And so by the time trans came around, it was just like, well, I, I've gotten pretty much used to this. I don't know that the people around me had, but I definitely, you know, at that point um, was very in a positive space. You know, I really discovered, uh, well, rather I accepted my transition in Corona. I think when my real hair grew out, um, I was really forced to recognize the femininity within myself. And it was a really beautiful moment for me in in Corona because it was the first time in my career that I really was in one place and really had time to focus on something else besides just gig to gig to gig. So for me, I think uh, the transition has sort of been like the finaling, the final completing of the circle. I think drag was really a way for me to codify myself. So I used drag as a way to make my femininity make sense. It was my job. It was something I did. It wasn't who I was. And I think in Corona, those lines became blurred and I began to really accept that this is who I am. And while I enjoy being as a female and, and performing as a drag queen, my identity goes so much deeper than that. And Laganja, for, for those that are maybe not as active cannabis users, um, Laganja, like, so you had that name early on in your career, but you know, what is, what, where does that name come from? Well, I'll be honest with you. I was stoned when I made up the name, so we don't know <laughs> how I created the name. Uh, we have several theories, one of which is, LA's ganja, La Ganja. So Los Angeles is ganja, La Ganja. Another one is my sister used to drive a, a Daewoo Laganza and she <laughs> called ganja. So maybe I'd heard the term from her. Uh, it's really hard to pinpoint. I was, oh, I don't know, 19, 20 years old when I created the character. But uh, I definitely chose the the platform because growing up in Texas, you know, I was always taught that cannabis was the devil's lettuce. And so when I moved to California and at that time got my medical license, I really began to discover that it was a beautiful plant that had many medicinal uses. And so I felt like any, you know, queen, especially again, being from Texas and being surrounded by beauty queens, you have a platform that's larger than yourself that you stand upon. And so I really wanted to share the, the ganja with people. I wanted people to know that that this was a, a beautiful thing and not something that's going to ultimately make you sink into your couch or be late to pick up your little sister from school, right. like I saw for many years on PSA commercials in Texas. Yeah. How has the platform allowed you, I mean, like, obviously, after we see you exit a show, if you don't come back in an all-star capacity, we, it's, you know, unless we intentionally want to follow you and know what you're doing, a lot of people kind of lose track of the queens on there. There's there's two things I think we've tapped on that I've noticed a lot, you know, especially the trans journey. You know, we're beginning to see more of that. That's more evident. I mean, obviously, Gia Gunn and Carrie Colby, uh, even this season, you know, we, we were seeing more trans inclusion on Drag Race. 
you know, I, I feel like you kind of helped lead some of that in, in a lot of ways and really kind of push open that door. So it's like your platform there, which I think is so powerful, and especially right now in the weird political climate we're in, where there seems to be an attack on both trans people and drag queens, um, obviously because people, even our politicians here in Texas, don't have anything else to worry about, I suppose. Um, but but you have uh, allowed yourself to kind of step into those spaces, and also for the you know legalization of cannabis across the nation, we're starting to see a lot of changed minds and changed attitudes. So after you left the show, what kind of platform did you have? How are you using that? You know, are you seeing you know that kind of be the drive for your drag as well as to kind of move into those spaces? And maybe even what's the future for that for you? I feel like I asked you like 17 questions at once. I'm sorry, but that's what's in my head, right? Right. Well, I definitely think, you know, the the show provided an incredible platform. It got my name out there and it did allow people the chance to follow me on social media and to keep in touch with me years after the show. Um, But I think really what's uh, unique about myself is that I took the platform the show gave me and I really ran with it and I made something of it. And I want to say thank you for saying that, you know, my transition and my uh, being public and doing so has helped others come forward. But the truth of the matter is, you know, Kylie Sonique, Monica Beverly Hills, Kenya Michaels, all the girls who came before me on Drag Race were the reason that I was able to live so openly. So I like to believe that it really is a sisterhood and a brotherhood and and that you know we all help each other continue moving forward um, I think when it comes to the cannabis world you know it definitely has been a struggle unfortunately it is very homophobic even though specifically in California the reason we had medical cannabis is directly due to the LGBTQIA plus community who are fighting for their brothers and sisters to access a different type of medicine when you know dealing with the AIDS crisis So for me, I think, you know, especially the more and more I researched about the plant and its rich history, I really felt a sense of responsibility. And so I've tried to lead with education and and whether that's, you know, speaking at conferences or even creating my own lifestyle brand around cannabis and showing people every day on my social media how I use this medicine and how it affects me for the good, I think is something that I've taken very seriously, you know. Um, but I also recognize that it is my hard work that took what I was given and has, and has helped me last through this decade. You know, there are plenty of girls from my season who they didn't do much after my season, right? They, they had the platform, but they didn't really use it. And that's something that I've always kind of prided myself on is that I have been focused. I have stayed, you know, due diligent. And I have also stayed in the public eye by choice by putting out great work, not only artwork, but also in my activism. Well, and I want to commend you for that because what I really think is important, and I think a lot of people in the LGBT community don't always connect to that. You know, obviously here in Texas, I get it a lot. I have friends who ask me, why are you still there? Like, get out. And I'm like, but if I get out, who's here for those kids coming after me? You know, I'm working in the mental health field as a therapist, and I still work with a lot of LGBT youth and LGBT people. And they don't always have the option to get out. And so I go, if I pack up and leave, now I I did enter to win the HGTV Dream Home. And if I win, I'm probably going to take it because it's in Colorado. Um, But it is that 
it is that thought process of, you know, I don't want to pack up and get out. So I commend you on that willingness to, to use your platform as opposed to just, you know, oh, hey, I had this opportunity and now I'm going to do my own thing. You know, there's more of us that need to step up into that space and say, I'm here to be an advocate. I'm here to fight. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that I've really had to do specifically in the cannabis area of my brand. And I think, you know, in the beginning when I was being booed on stages um, because ultimately those straight men did not want to see me up there uh, taking my clothes off. I realized it was in those moments like this is what being an activist is. You have to be active and you have to actually fight for this. And I'm really grateful that I haven't given up and that I've continued to kind of open the door for other gay and queer stoners to to have a platform. Laganja, do you mind if I ask you a little bit more about, you know, so you were on Dope Magazine as the first LGBTQ plus advocate, um, you know, to be on the cover. But it's like you, you talked about booing, being booed on stage. What are some of the other hardships that you face being, you know, an, an out, proud, loud advocate? Because I think that's something that, you know, so many people think, oh, you know, gay marriage is legal and, you know, all that jazz. So everything must be fine. But like, what are some of the things that you face, if you don't mind? Sure. Um, you know, I've been trying to have my own cannabis brand since the beginning, since 2014. Um, and, you know, it's been a, it's been a difficult route because people will start the journey with me. And then when they realize there's pushback from their audiences, uh, you know, they don't complete it you know I've had pushback when it comes to like being in magazines such as high times you know they want to feature articles about me but only online they never really want to put me in print so there, there's been all different kinds of you know troubleships and conflicts that I faced as a queer person in the cannabis industry but again I've also done so much more than the negative and I, I really do think the positive has outweighed those negative moments and you know actually I'm in the process right now with another company um, of creating my own brand and we're hoping to launch actually on 420 this year so fingers crossed that this is my year and I finally can really be you know a trans entrepreneur in the cannabis space because it's it's time yeah I'm I'm curious too and because as we're talking about that activism you know I, I kind of referenced earlier some of the weird legislations that are happening across the country, um, you know, banning drag shows, making drag places sexually oriented businesses that, you know, would possibly tax some of our small businesses. And then also just a lot of the, the anti-trans legislation that is being out. I mean, I, I don't know that Donald Trump has a shot at the next Republican nomination, but he's already come out publicly and said that he would stop immediately in his first executive order any kind of medical care for trans people, including HRT, GCS, or anything of that nature. So whether or not he has a shot at anything, there's this dangerous rhetoric being tossed around because it's become the, I guess, the fueling point you know, kind of like you're talking about going to shows and people not wanting to see that or, or a lot of these attacks. So how can we as LGBT people fight back on that? Because you're kind of out in the front lines and I know a lot of your work is cannabis advocacy, but just in general, how can we fight back? What is our stance? How do we affect change? Because I think it's very easy for us who are, you know, in certain states where that may be ramped up a little bit to just almost throw our hands up and say, I don't know how to do, I don't know what we can do. 
So, I mean, as you're hearing some of these things coming out, like what what are things that you would encourage others to do or, or what are even stances that you're taking that you're able to use in your platform? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to use your voice. You have to be vocal. You can't be afraid to express your opinion and let it be known, whether that's on social media, whether that's with your friends and family. But I think that's the first step in, in moving forward is, is not being afraid to speak up. And then I would say, second, it's it's leaning into community, right? We can't fight this alone. We have to fight this together. And so, you know, joining a, a, a nonprofit or, or volunteering and, and being a part of your local LGBTQ, you know, organization, I think that's super important. And then, of course, you know, amplifying the other voices that are, you know, higher up in power and actually have more... Uh, at stake to do, you know, to do something. I think a lot of times we feel like we can't do anything ourselves, but when you get a bunch of people together and then they support the right person, that person is able to move legislation uh, forward. So, you know, there's a, a wonderful organization called Drag Out the Vote. That's all drag queens trying to inspire youth to be a part of the polls. And I think, again, voting is super important. That's another great way to really affect change. But I think most importantly, it's it's the not being afraid to speak out against other people. I want to I give you an opportunity to kind of explore this topic a little bit with trans youth, um, especially from a therapist standpoint. A lot of times I'm working with parents or I'm working with youth who are struggling with their transition, even trying to explore, like, is this, what does this mean? Am I trans? Am I not trans? Like what, you know, for you growing up in a place like Texas, which is probably not the most trans friendly place to be. Um, I worked as an educator for 21 years. And so I, I, I know the climate of a lot of those schools as well. Like what words of encouragement do you have for, a, you know, a young person who is struggling with their identity you know, asking those tough questions, you know, looking at me sometimes in my office, even saying, I don't, I feel so alone. You know, what, how would you help encourage those on that journey? What are some of the things that you went through coming up, you know, deciding who you were and really embracing that identity that maybe for, for some of our younger viewers or their parents of trans youth who listen to our show, you know, what, what kind of guidance can you give them or, or insight? Well, my first um, guidance would be to be grateful. I think something that you know I love about my yoga practice is that it teaches me to be humble and to be grateful for what we do have. And you know, particularly for myself, uh, when I was a child, I didn't know what trans was. I didn't even have a representation of that on my television screen. Mm. So I think that that's struggling right now, I always try to say, but be grateful, be grateful you have the education and you know what trans is and you're you're being allowed to explore that. And it's okay not to have all the answers, but just know the fact that you're able to really kind of deal with this head on at such a younger age is truly a blessing. Um, and I also think that when you're in a positive place and in a place of gratitude, you're able to accomplish a lot more than when you are focused on the negative. Um, second, I think, you know, my best advice for someone who's struggling is to just trust yourself. I think for so long I knew I was trans, but I was scared to accept that. And I was scared to explore, well, now that I have accepted that, how do I put that into motion? And so I think, again, having gratitude with yourself and knowing that ultimately what you feel inside is the right answer. 
And it's the steps that come after that that can be even more difficult. But when you can first accept within yourself that you are, you know, different than the normal cis person and that there are uh, options and answers for you out there, that, again, you're able to, to move forward in a, in a better light. And I think to anyone who's struggling with their family, uh, again, I don't know what that's like because I've been so blessed to have parents who've really supported me all the way through all of this. Um, but the best part about being queer is that we have chosen family and that we get to choose people in our lives uh, to help us through. And so ultimately, I would want you know the youth to know you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there for you and that seeking therapy is a beautiful way in dealing with your mixed emotions. I currently uh, am seeing a therapist and I'm so grateful for that because I couldn't live the crazy busy life I do without a therapist. I think having someone neutral is so important in your life to really be a bouncing board for dealing with your uh, confusion and mixed emotions. Um, and Laganja, kind of piggybacking on that question Brian just asked, what I had a friend that recently just came out as trans. What are some of the things that I can say or do to, you know, help affirm them and just help them along with their journey? Well, I think the most important thing you can do with trans people is to recognize the pronouns. Um, you know, I've often heard like, well, what are your preferred pronouns? And that's not really a thing. There's no such thing as preferred pronouns are just our pronouns. And so I think, you know, really acknowledging that is step one when dealing with someone who is trans. I think reminding trans people how beautiful they are, how brave they are is also really important. I think so much of transitions, uh, especially now in the social, in the media world, it's focused on the physical. But for me, you know, the transition begins and ends with my mental health. I think that's really what it's about. You know, it's one thing to change your clothing, your hair, your makeup. But when you change what's on the inside, that's when you're able to really move forward and to really uh, be the best that you can be. So I think having people remind you that you're beautiful uh, inside and out and that you're brave for living this life and, and choosing to do something about this is really important. I want, to, I want to give you a second to address kind of a devil's advocate thought here, because this is the rhetoric that I keep hearing, again, from politicians or people on the far right who don't understand the trans experience. Number one, this idea that children are too young to know and they need to wait. I think that argument has evolved from LGBT arguments of, oh, you can't know you're gay when you're six. Well, but I was and I did. So I want to give you a moment to address that, this idea that we can't allow kids any kind of medical services because they're too young to understand them. And that in essence, parents are just contributing to the idea of them mutilating themselves, which is not the case. I, I don't believe that, but I know that's the arguments and the fear tactics that are being thrown out there. And I think with that as well is is this idea that, you know, we're over-sexualizing children or even them accessing drag shows somehow is going to change their mind. We're seeing that with library books. We're seeing that with drag story hour, you know, again, that, that's such a misconception of who kids are. So, you know, talk a little bit about your experience there. You know, you said you knew pretty early on, because I think there needs to be those stories of people hearing, no, I knew this, I understood who I was 
when I was young. It wasn't because I went to a drag show. It wasn't because I saw a transgender person on, in the media. There is something else going on. So can you help us understand what you knew and when you knew it? Yeah, well, I, I definitely knew that I was queer at a very young age. You know, I remember being about six or seven on the playground and girlfriends asking me, like, well, do you wish you could be a girl? And me answering yes. And even though I didn't know what trans was or even had an idea of that, I knew that the answer was yes, I wished I was a girl. I wished that I, you know, could wear dresses and could express my femininity. And I also knew that I, you know, was attracted to men at a very young age. And I think this, you know, notion that a kid can just tell their parents, well, I believe I'm the opposite sex. And the next thing you know, they're in the doctor's office getting medicine is just unrealistic. It doesn't work that way. There's right. many steps to go through and, you know, to access medication at a young age is, is very difficult. And so uh, this whole idea of trying to stop access to that is, is just so misguided because they don't even understand the process and that there's a lot that goes into it and that there has been a lot of research to show that providing medication for trans youth at an earlier age actually saves lives. It's, it's not the opposite um, that they want people to believe. So I think it's super important that, you know, we have access to health care for trans youth and also trans adults. I think, you know, health care is still uh, not provided equally, just as we know it's not provided equally to minorities uh, when dealing with race. We know specifically that it's, it's a lot harder for trans people to access medicine. So I think it's a fight we need to continue having. And, um, you know, I understand why people feel the way they do about drag. Ultimately, drag to me is an adult art form. And uh, it isn't something that is to be enjoyed by children. But that's not to say now that the art form hasn't expanded since RuPaul's Drag Race and that there aren't queens out there who are designed for children and who are designed for story hours and who are like, you know, Nina West, who's one of my favorite queens, who's all about Disney and, and keeping it lighthearted. And, you know, I love that. That's not who I am. I'm definitely an adult entertainer. Um, and that's what I like. And I don't want to change that. And quite honestly, I don't want to perform for your kids. So, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm fine with you keeping your kids away from me because I don't want them there in the first place. But I think um, this idea that we're these sexual beings and we need to be, you know, um, put as the same category as a strip club is just ridiculous, um, you know. And again, not that I think there's anything with, wrong with stripping or sex work. I support both of those as well. Um, but again, those are adult fields, and, and I believe that they have their own place. Um, but everyone's trying to create this idea that all us drag queens, you know, want to indoctrinate children, and that's just not true. Most drag queens I know are much like myself and want the shows to be 18 and up and actually 21 and up. So, you know, it's just, again, this rhetoric that the, the Republicans, I believe, are, are spreading and creating this sort of... Uh, idea or notion that this is what drag queens are doing. And it's it's just not true. We're artists. We are not indoctrinators. Okay, Laganja, I kind of have a, an also controversial kind of take or just conversation I was having with a friend of mine. Um, so we were talking about drag performers. I was talking about, oh, I'm you know interviewing you. Um, and this person was like, well, you know, are they even a drag queen when they transition? And can you help, I think, 
you know, settle some of the debate, especially in the community and the pushback that we get from those of our own that say trans people can't be drag queens or trans people need to have their own community and their own place, their own apps, things like that. Well, I think each trans person is different. You know, I've had a lot of girls who transition and then they don't identify as drag queens anymore. They identify as showgirls. Uh, for me, I still feel very much attached to the word drag queen. I believe that is my job. Trans is who I am. Drag is what I do. Monica Beverly Hills, again, from RuPaul's Drag Race, said that first. And that's really how I feel. I feel that drag is an art form and that trans is who I am. Um, ultimately, I'm not walking around with glitter and rhinestones and huge lashes and uh, giant wigs during the day. That's what makes it drag for me. Um, but again, I think each trans person is, is allowed to identify their art form how they want. And ultimately, it's, it's not a black or white question. There is a lot of gray area there. But to answer, you know, can trans people do drag? Well, uh, I hate to break it to y'all, but again, we invented that. The same reason... <laughs> have rights is all due to the trans community. So this notion that trans people need to find their own community, it's like, well, honey, you wouldn't even have yours if it wasn't for us. So uh, I, I believe that that is um, misogyny, misogyny at its finest. I think that that really is fueled by a lot of um, gay men um, and that, you know, ultimately lesbians do not feel that way at all. And in fact, lesbians, I think, celebrate uh, a trans at a much higher rate than gay men do. Um, and as someone who lived my life for many years as a gay man, I think it's totally fine to have gay men-centric clubs, gay men-centric cruises. I support that 100%. But I do believe as a community, we have to look at bigger picture here. And we have to be more welcoming. And um, again, why is a gay man even deciding what a drag queen does? That makes no sense to me. If you don't do drag, I don't think you should be a part of the conversation, period. Talk to us a little bit about your mental health journey and how important and integral that maybe therapy was to your process. I know our connection when we first kind of started talking was through my mentor at SMU, Hal Barkley, who was just, I think, the light even for me being able to come out and want to do LGBT affirming therapy as a practice. I, I don't know that I would be here without him. I know that he connected us. So I just want to hear a little bit about your journey and the, the, the power and the place that therapy may has, have played into bringing you to us today and, and who you are as a person. Yeah, I've been off and on in therapy since I was probably about 12 or 14 years old. And, um, you know, therapists have saved my life many, many times. I dealt with a lot of alcoholism when I got off RuPaul's Drag Race season six. And my incredible uh, therapist at the time, Dr. Stacy, although she wasn't a doctor, but I called her that for some reason. <laughs> Dr. Stacy, uh, she really did. She saved my life and she helped me get the tools I needed to deal with my alcoholism and ultimately overcome that. Um, you know, my therapist I see now, Renato, with the Trans Wellness Center, uh, I feel like he's my friend. I mean, I, I really look up to him so much. And, you know, I think what's so beautiful now for me is um, I, I see therapy not so much as the therapist saving me, but the therapist walking me to the path so I can save myself. And I feel really grateful to have someone like Renato in my life who, you know, 
really gets me to to look outside of myself and to be more neutral when dealing with conflicts in my own uh, upbringing or even where I'm going now in the future. So I think, again, I, I can't recommend therapy enough. I truly swear by it. I truly believe in it. And I think the work that you're doing is just is crucial. And that was also why I wanted to be on this podcast to show that I really support talking about mental health. I think we need to destigmatize this idea that having a therapist means there's something wrong with you. I think the most healthiest people I know have therapists. You said that you've been doing therapy and things like that, but do you have other ways and forms that you help deal with, you know, any mental health stuff or just through artistic expression? Do you feel like you're able to get out a lot of emotions? You know, I saw that you did that, um, that gender um, with the Nottingham Contemporary in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And do you have any other upcoming projects that we can look forward to? Yeah, so I definitely use my art to heal from my traumas, for sure. Um, but for me, as I'd mentioned earlier, you know, yoga is a huge part of my daily practice that really helps center myself and helps me uh, connect the, the body and the mind. Um, you know, I believe movement is uh, innate to our, our human bodies. I believe we're supposed to move, we're supposed to dance just as much as I believe we're supposed to sing. Even though I'm not a great singer, thank you for auto-tune. Um, I believe that movement in particular has a really healing power to it. And I find that yoga uh, is a great way to sort of tap into those ancestral uh, healing components um, that have been there for many, many years. I think... Um, my art, yes, I definitely do use that as therapy, but to be honest, art has become my job, you know? Um, so it doesn't have as much therapeutic healing for me as it used to, at least when talking about drag. But as you had mentioned, the workshop that I did in Nottingham was very healing because I wasn't being Laganja, I wasn't performing, I was actually going as a choreographer and as a creative, and I got to work with other trans and, and queer and non-binary folk and put a piece of art on them where they were expressing their traumas and their struggles. And so I think that was really healing in many ways, healing for me as an artist, healing for me as a mentor, and healing ultimately uh, as a collective, as a group. Um, so that was very special, and, and it is my deepest hope that I will be able to continue that work. I did get to collaborate with an organization called Young Arts out in Miami, uh, where I kind of uh, did the gender workshop 2.0 and took it to the next level, and that was incredible. I also was involved with PAM, a museum out there, and got to lead a dance class for queer and trans um, youth. So I'm definitely always looking for more opportunities to explore that side of myself and to answer what I'm working on currently. I'm working on a new musical called Misstep. It's um, actually about trans and non-binary folk with uh, trans and non-binary actors on and off stage. Uh, I'm co-choreographing with an incredible man named Connor Gallagher who has done many things in his career, but is most notably known for his choreography for Beetlejuice on Broadway. Wow. Um, so I'm really excited about the musical. I'm actually here in Issaquah, which is outside of Seattle, working on the project right now. And um, I'm super excited because I really believe this musical has a lot of legs. I see a, a very bright future for it. I hope it goes to Broadway and 
2024, 2025, and we can share the story on a, on a much larger scale because it really deserves um, to have a, a wide audience. Besides just those things, what do you see as your future? What do you hope for? Where do you want to take your platform? What's what's in the future for Laganja? Well, I have a lot of goals and a lot of dreams. I can tell you that this year I'm really focusing on my music career. I'll be putting out my first EP called Daily Basis on 420 of this year. And I definitely hope to continue my pop star fantasy um i definitely see more choreography and directing in my future i've always wanted to direct a cirque du soleil show so i'm I'm definitely hoping one day to have my own cirque du soleil show in vegas that i've conceptually created and directed i also you know want to be an egot so i'd love to get an oscar a tony a a grammy i mean you name it i'm 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 ready to go and and, uh, achieve all my dreams so Um, I think it's really hard to say what's in my future because I do have so many options. You know, sometimes I think, well, I'm going to become an interior designer. Sometimes I think, um, you know, I'm just going to focus solely on dance and start my own dance company. So I don't really know, but I always say it's, it's better to have too many options than not enough. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Again, I am in awe of the work that you're doing uh, it, it means so much to so many of us to be able to look to you and, and see you as a role model in those areas. Um, you know, there, I think I think it's needed. And I think the more exposure and the more work that you do, it really is saving a lot of lives and, and, and really connecting people to who they are. And, and I just want to say, I know it's, it's taken us a little bit of time to connect, but I am so excited that you gave us this time today to be able to talk about those things. Um, it's just an honor for me to have you on the show. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, next time you may happen to come through Texas Way, we can connect uh, and in person and, and be able to sit down and, and have a dinner or have a conversation because I'm just, I'm really excited for the work that you do and, and for the person that you've become. It's a light to all of us. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really do appreciate that. And yes, chips and salsa and queso on me when I come through Dallas. I would love to do that. And um, yeah, I I would also just say to you, uh, thank you for the work you do. I think, um, like I said, we have to lean into community and it's, it's not just about one of us achieving this great thing. It's about all of us achieving this together. And you are a part of that. So I'm thrilled that my dad via Hal connected us and that we finally got time to do this. So thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of my story. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to be sitting on the sidelines, rooting you on. I can't wait to see that musical when it, when it all comes out and happens. So thank you again. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show. Uh, We really cherished the opportunity to talk with you. So thank you. Absolutely. As always, as Miss Laganja likes to say goodbye, stay sickening. It's it's very exciting to have Laganja on the show. I've I've been trying to set this up for a while. We've been talking uh, for the better part of the last year to to get her on. And and her schedule has been crazy because of the work that she's doing that has been really hard to schedule. So I was so honored to have her here tonight. I love what she talks about, about community, the sense that it does take all of us. It's not just the one person that's taking that spotlight or that platform. We really all in our respective careers and work 
have a lot that we can do. And I think especially when we're hearing this political rhetoric that is so inane that we just have to get to a point where we we step up in our respective fields and we fight and we encourage each other and we can do this if we will all come together. Yeah, and I think that's just, I mean, one of those, you know, tales of the oldest time where uh, we as a community have to band together and we have to support our, our trans brothers and sisters. Yeah, it is, to me, all the, the entire fight is all of our fight. We can't just say, well, I'm not trans, so it doesn't impact me. Or I'm not a drag queen, so I'm not impacted by that. Or I don't even like drag. I don't go to those shows. That's not the point. It's it's, we have to come together as a community. We have to fight as a community. And those times where we can take up the, the mantle for someone else who may not be able to, that's part of the work we do. That's part of the fight we do. Sometimes we do it like I do as a therapist in a closed office. So it's not out and as vocal as maybe others have been. But we've got to all take our role and realize we wouldn't be where we are without each other. And we won't get where we're going without each other. So that's going to do it for this episode of Falling Out. We hope you are excited for us to be back here in season two. Mm -hmm. So just keep tuning in. Check us out on our Instagram, on our Twitter on our websites, please share these episodes with all of your friends, family, neighbors, and legislators. Remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out.